Hey guys, welcome to Universal Healing, a podcast where we talk about all aspects of healing as it pertains to you. Hey guys, welcome back to Universal Healing. Today we're going to talk about a super exciting topic. Um, we're going to talk about infertility in women. Specifically, I'm going to talk about my thesis that I got to do this past year at UT Austin about alternative methods of treating infertility, um, and more specifically, how mental health and stigma play a role in infertility and its treatment. Um, so I'll start off with a little bit of history. Um, so back in the olden days, women were very highly revered for their ability to create children. So especially in farming societies, the magic of women was seen as like the magic of earth. So women would birth children just as the earth gives life to plants. So fertility was seen as a parallel to crop yield and the success of communities that depended on such crops for sustenance was attributed to the women who lived there. Uh, because of this, women had a superior social, political, and economic position in comparison to men, but a bride could still be returned uh, if she didn't bear any children. So moving forward to the 14th, 15th centuries, uh, women began to be burned at the stake for infertility because it was connotated with witches. Um, and then in 1964, textbooks in America declared conception to be dependent on the mixing of fluids produced during orgasm, uh, and this put a lot of stress on couples and led to the birth of dangerous and painful reproductive surgeries to enhance female pleasure organs during this era, uh, which created just a lot of social stigma around infertility that we definitely still see today. Um, so then... What is infertility? As far as my research went, there's not really a super universal way to tell if somebody's infertile because there's so many different causes. So really, infertility is just kind of defined as the failure of a couple to achieve a clinical pregnancy after one year or more of regular unprotected sex. And in my research, I found that it affects 48.5 million couples worldwide. Uh, so some causes include increased maternal age, fallopian tube problems, endometriosis, PCOS, ovulation disorders, uterine lesions, uh, history of birth control, food, lifestyle, habits, stress, anxiety. There's a lot of different um, factors that can go into infertility, but the one that I found is the most common today is advanced maternal age. And so in the Western world of medicine, there's a bunch of different practices to help people conceive. So there's sex hormone therapy, tubal plastic surgery, um, and assisted reproductive technologies, such as IVF. Um, and But the issue with all these is that they don't have super high success rates. So uh, specifically pertaining to IVF, the success rates are super variable. Um, they're based on the patient's age. Uh, due to their abnormalities in eggs as they get older and their own ovarian reserves. So it really just depends individually. Because of this individualism, uh, the success rate can be anywhere from 5% to 90%. That's a pretty big range that's pretty up in the air, which is I was really surprising to me in my research. Uh, yeah, and so if none of these other avenues work, doctors typically advise the route of just finding a donor egg. And now I get into the alternative medicine part. So one thing in my research was that I wanted to define what an alternative medicine is, because with the rising popularity of, you know, different approaches to medicine, it's hard to tell what exactly is alternative anymore. So I found that the term complementary and alternative medicine is a bit more fitting for the approaches that I talk about in the thesis. Uh, complementary medicine recognizes that the interventions are used along with conventional Western approaches as well. And I found that about 30% of infertile couples who use some form of alternative medicine um, do so because of uh, accessibility, financial, social, um, and cultural factors as well. So there's a lot of different factors that go into why people use complementary and alternative medicines. So in the thesis, I specifically go into three different types of alternative medicine. So traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and indigenous medicine. For traditional Chinese medicine, I focused mostly on acupuncture. Uh, I found that there were multiple studies that included 
that acupuncture has a positive effect on patients that are also undergoing IVF. So this created an almost 50% increase in success rates, repositioning incorrectly functioning uteruses, uh, and it helps bring blood flow to the abdominal area. And so there's not a lot of literature supporting the efficacy of massages, but they're still in use today in traditional communities and are rising in popularity in Western cultures. Now, jumping into the mental health aspect of it, uh, mental health conditions have been found to affect about 30 to 80% of infertile couples. And according to the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, infertility is as grief provoking as the death of a family member, separation or divorce. Um, and a study of fertility clinics in the U.S. found that a minority of patients receive mental health support, and only a fourth of them are uh, aware of available mental health support at all. Uh, this is super significant because mental health is becoming more recognized as a major factor in infertility treatment, uh, which will hopefully lead to mental health services being a routine part of treatment and more available to couples. Um, hopefully, you know, in the future, people will be a little bit more open to understanding the connection between their mental health and their body's ability to conceive. So yeah, that was kind of the thesis in a nutshell. Um, do y'all have any questions? Well, that was a, that was a good um, synopsis. And um, I have some questions just to start with for both of you, actually. Um, first of all, I'm curious why you chose this topic or what led you to chose this topic for your thesis and then i'm also curious what what did you find out what surprised you or didn't what stood out from the results that you have yeah so i have always been interested in alternative medicine and last spring i interned at an apothecary called Earth Commons in Austin. And so while I was there, I saw a lot of women come in looking for herbs to help them increase their fertility or to help them conceive a baby. And so that was probably the first time I like saw or like encountered people who were, you know, trying to conceive looking for AIDS. And so I was just really intrigued. I thought it was cool. Um, I got to make a lot of teas to that were individual to people who were trying to conceive and everything. So I, I learned a lot about some herbs, um, some different methods from my boss, from the other herbalists there. And I just thought it was a really cool topic. So I wanted to dive more into it. And then for our theses in plan two, they kept emphasizing we had to add something new. Um, and so I thought that, you know, mental health is something that's just not super looked into in any realm of medicine and I was in a loss and grief course where one of the chapters was literally about infertility and so I thought that it would be a really cool avenue to look at it from a mental health perspective as well um, and then as far as like surprising or what stood out a couple of things so one was that I really couldn't find a lot on indigenous practices and approaches to infertility. Um, and I think that's really just because, you know, through colonization, uh, a lot of indigenous practices and beliefs were like ridiculed, erased. Um, you know, there's a really big spiritual component in indigenous medicine, as there is too in Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese medicine, but I think it was a little bit more prominent in indigenous medicine. And so obviously it was seen as not the way once uh, the Europeans came over. So there's just been a huge gap in people who are interested uh, in researching it or people who are just open-minded to researching it and how it can still be useful today. Um, another thing was that I was so surprised to find that there are is literally no mental health support for women with infertility. It is treated completely as a, as a body illness, even though I found so many studies that show that couples can really suffer mentally, especially women, because they're so much more susceptible to the stigma. I mean, like uh, when I was doing research for the history, I just kept finding more and more about how, you know, if 
there was infertility in a couple, it was automatically the woman's fault. And so she's the one who had to go through ridiculous and painful procedures to try to enhance whatever so she could get pregnant, or she was the one who was burned at the stake, or she was the one who was traded in with absolutely no acknowledgement that it could have also been the man, you know? And so those those are probably my top two most <laughs> surprising slash intriguing things that I found in my research. Um, you know, one thing that strikes me just when you were talking about that with with the women is, and Robin can totally address this, um, but in my time recruiting physicians and working with them, just even the, when more and more women entered med school, and so we had more female physicians, um, even then the conversation was, well, the woman's, you know, I don't know about this candidate. She's probably not gonna wanna work full-time. She's probably gonna take time off because, you know, they get pregnant. And I'm like, they don't get pregnant alone. Hello. <laughs> I mean, so even into just this recent, um, fairly recent, right? Because now they're women, tons of women. And still that stigma in Western medicine itself regarding colleagues, it was like, it's a woman's problem or like who's, who's taking care of your babies while you're all here at work, you know? And then moving into sometimes, no, that was actually the father, you know? So it's changing, but I'm just struck by that. And I know that Robin will have her own thoughts on that as well, but um, we still have a long way to go. So Robin, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts just on the general thesis and what you see um, in your training and what opportunity you see for some of these other things um, Priscilla's brought up because you're you are absolutely our expert on infertility and babies so um <laughs> well as far as infertility as a it's a general OBGYN when we see a patient we will take them so far and then after all of our resources and things have been exhausted. We refer them to a specialist, like an infertility, you know, infertility clinic. Um, but when you talk about men, when you talk about infertility, about fifty percent is is a male cause for it. It's not all female, which you know, throughout I guess history, it's you know, it sounds like that the women were the ones that took the the blame, so so to speak, blame for it. Um, but the mental health perspective of it is huge. And I think mental health since COVID uh, has been recognized more, and which I'm glad uh, for that. I read an article, it's still sort of disappointing though, that the mental health perspective or alternative um, methods, I don't even like to call them alternative methods, but um, we work together. Um, it's that it's uh, not been, you know, recognized as it should even, even after COVID because mental, I'm in a functional medicine course now and I'm just starting to get into it, but it's amazing to me how our immune system and how our, our um, mental status affects so many things, including infertility and hormones. Our, um, I mean, even, down, even in medical school, uh, you know, we learned, okay, stress, sleep, you know, you're supposed to get, but not into the in-depth that I'm learning in this functional medicine course and how it affects your immune system and how it affects your, you know, down to the T cells, down to the cytokines, down to the interleukins that are produced and how everything is interrelated. Um, I read an article, which I was kind of disappointed because I thought, oh, finally somebody is recognizing, um, you know, how infertility affects couples and how it affects the woman. And it was talking about, it was a an OBG, well, I think she was an infertile uh, reproductive endocrinologist and was talking about how she 
treats her patients. And then with infertility, she was saying, you know, when they had um, problems that she, all she did, she recommended like medication and counseling. And so to me, that was, it was sort of, it didn't go into the, it didn't go in depth on how important that part is, if that makes sense. Well, it does. It's, it's, um, it's good in the respect of acknowledging the referral, right? That it's necessary or whatever I'm referring, but I think it also still plays into the, the training in Western medicine um, just focuses on the body like it's separate um, from the mind and the soul. And we even treat it with specialists to treat parts of the body and not the body as whole. And that's, that's the training and just how it is. And um, so I think what, what really intrigues me and what really gets me excited is what both of you have touched on which is um, alternative medicine. And then Robin, you're like, I don't even like to call it that. And I'm, I'm with you on that because I think it is complementary. I think even more than that, it's equal. I'm not sure if complementary sounds like something you just add with what's already there. Um, so from my perspective, I think we have so much opportunity to, to maybe open up so much broader and look at these things that are working and how we bring them in equally and look at what combination of those things is best because it is an individualized each person but still taking in all of those aspects so I'm also struck by and um I'd like I'd like both your thoughts on this too um when you say, you know, it's the studies that have happened where you said like one was like 50%. That's huge because it was like, what, 2% to 90% with just, <laughs> um, so that's a huge thing. And I'm also struck by, but we don't, we can't prove it in the medical, the golden standard of double blind studies. So I'm curious you know, maybe this is especially for you, Robin, about the importance of double blind studies. And is that really the gold standard? And is it just the way we looked at it? You know, how do we take things in? Because I feel like 50% is a huge thing. So like, wouldn't medicine want to delve into that more and say, what's going on? And how can we do this together? And when it's individualized with people, when you're doing a study, I get that you want to have a standard, right? So you're measuring. So how do you, are you following where I'm going? <laughs> My questions about this, like, is there a different, is it really the gold standard? And um, if it is, then how do we bring this in, in a way? Because I feel like there are places where we're we're not giving weight to really important information because it doesn't fit into that box, if that makes sense. So I'd, I'd love to hear what you both think about that. Can I chime in? <laughs> awesome, okay, so I personally believe that, you know, it definitely is the gold standard for mass-produced medicine. It's the gold standard for companies that can make a lot of profit off of getting something or giving something out that just has been proven to work generally across the population, something that they can, the statistics can apply to the masses, right? Um, but the thing with, you know, more traditional and alternative medicines, um, is that they're so individual, like with acupuncture, there's so many different types of acupuncture. There's acupuncture, electroacupuncture, acupressure, there's even moxibustion where it's using a specific type of clay at the end of the needle and then you burn it. And it's, you know, the combination of incense with the, the heat on the needle and it just does different things for your meridians and everything. And for yoga, there's 
different types of yoga. There's Vikram yoga, this, that, and the other. There's types based on breathing and, and poses or meditation and, and like the same thing with indigenous. There's all, there's just so many different avenues and each approach of alternative and traditional medicine that every person is not going to use the same one. The individualized approach is individualized so that people can choose which type of acupuncture or which type of yoga or what ceremonial aspect, you know, to use and implement. And so with all of these studies, I feel like honestly, we just need to create a new type of study that's made for, that's made to fit more individualized medicine. Because the point, yes, there should be a baseline for measurement, but the point of the medicine is that it's going to be different for everyone. So I personally believe that we need to just have a big mental shift, a big scientific shift, um, open our minds a little bit and try to create a process, a program for such trials. Because so many people, so many of the studies that I found, yes, it's an increase of 50%. It's you know, and they're all showing general trends of success, but they have to put a disclaimer at the end of their article that, well, this isn't a double-blind randomized trial. This is not a uniform application of the, the approach, the medicine, and it invalidates that in the eyes of all of these doctors and professors and very, very high up people who have a lot of influence in the medical world. And that's an issue because if doctors, you know, if we had more doctors like you, Robin, if we had more, more people who were open-minded, they could start recommending mental health resources or different approaches such as herbs or yoga or whatever earlier on, then we have nothing else we can help you with. Maybe you should research some more avenues on your own because that's typically what happens nowadays, you know? And I feel like the earlier people start to implement these different approaches, especially when they're trying with IVF or any other Western approach, it'll increase their chances. And I think that that's, it's honestly detrimental to the patients to not have the knowledge. I agree with you. You hit the the nail on the head. I, I feel like with because of in science, you know, scientific research, it is the double blind, you know, controlled trials, they're considered the gold standard. But just like you said, everybody's individual. I mean, anybody that you know, even with medications and things, everybody has a unique response to it. Um, and what works for some patients, even using these, you know, double-blind controlled studies, even using that, it works, some medications work for some patients, it doesn't work for others. Because I feel like what you're saying, everybody's unique, everybody's body's unique, their hormone, you know, milieu is unique. Um, and, and I think that's where the, you know, the scientific research, it doesn't give way for that individualized uniqueness. And I, I mean, I get that it's hard to, that that's the standard. That's what you've looked at. People want proof. But I think there's a place where even just common sense comes in and says yeah. if something, if people, percentage of people, the, the goal is to, is health, right? Or the goal in this is healthy enough to conceive a baby and, and have that baby, you know, go full term to birth. So it, it's like, sometimes we lose the forest, you know, between the trees or whatever that saying is like, if, if we're getting outcomes, like, then, then how do we put some more weight on the outcomes versus just the method of proof or study and so it's they're conflicting and I think I think this is part I think it's an important issue um, because you know you I, I totally understand we want proof and that you want to 
you know, be like, well, let's take all of this into consideration. And it's been so one way without the other that to bring it back into balance, you know, it, you have to tip the scale the other way, maybe to, to try to find that um, even ground. So, um, and, you know, I'm just curious about that, Robin, like I said, because you, like, that's what you have to look at, right? Like when you're looking at how to treat things in general, like that's, that's the benchmark, correct? It is, it is. And that's, that's where I think like Western medicine and complementary medicine, that's where there's an opportunity uh, to even change things in medical school because we're taught like, like what we're talking about, the science, I think it treats a problem, but it doesn't necessarily get to the root of the problem. We're treating a symptom, uh, but not the root of the problem. And that's where I feel like there's got to be a big change uh, in medicine. I mean, I am learning so much. It's, it's amazing. And there are things that I'm learning that, that I've even told some of the people involved, like I'm, I'm now involved in because with me, I love OB, so that's my passion and labor. And for years, I have seen patients, and I'm thinking, why aren't they dilating? Why aren't they able to have this baby? Why won't this baby come through? Well, now I'm learning like uh, something called the body ready method, and it's it, it goes back and it teaches us, you know, how our body and over the years how we work now and how some things are shortened and some things are lengthened because of the way that we work. Like if you work and you're, you know, over a computer or a desk, then, then your, you know, your chest is uh, tightened where, you know, there are other muscle muscles are lengthened and, and the same goes for stacking and, and body alignment. And there are different things that you could during pregnancy to give your, you know, have your body in the best position and the best um, physical to have to, to have a baby. And there are different things you can do now that I'm learning on positioning during labor. I mean, it's amazing to me. And it's like an aha moment when I'm thinking I knew like this whole time, because I've worked with patients for pro over 35 years. And there are some times where you just can't figure out why won't this baby come through? And now it's like this has been an aha moment on this is it. Like I always used to say there was something else. There's something deeper. <laughs> you know, that's more of the root of the problem. And the same with, with infertility, there's, there's more um, that, that's, that needs to be looked at the root of the problem, not just focusing on a symptom. And that's where I think these complementary treatments come into play, that we need to work together well, and I think when we talk about the root of the problem, I think there, you know, in, in the work that I'm doing and passionate about, the root can go way back. Right? So when we're just talking about the things that your thesis, Priscilla, have brought up are, um, just take this one example of throughout history, how we've gone from this being a female problem to being burned at the stake for not being able to give birth when we know now that that woman burned at the stake may not have been able to give birth because her husband might have been the one right so that's basically that's history through us all right and through all cultures so that's still a part of the environment and what's with us. And then when you add to that personal things, like um, one of the parts of looking at infertility from my perspective are asking questions like, what in my life history is still unresolved? So just take that piece. That's a huge part of life history that's unresolved for females like females in general. And then you add to that um, our own experiences um, 
in when we're in the womb even and what's happening with with the mother and the father and all of those and then our own experiences with with parenting and life and how it is um and then looking at how a lot of this has to do with trusting how do you completely trust yourself your body right um and your ability to be a parent, those are huge parts of this as well. And so from where I sit, I think that this is pretty much completely ignored. Um, you know, might touch on it a little bit, but I think it's such a core part and a root cause of so much of this that goes even deeper. So this is, I guess this is to say even if, we have so much blame and in your thesis, what came up, like how we feel so um, inadequate as a woman um, and the depression and all the things associated with it. Yet there's no recognition of the whole cultural, environmental, societal that goes way back to this. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did want to touch on was that I found one account, uh, one article where they talked about how, you know, in history, um, a very, very long time ago, while they were figuring out what infertility was attributed to, there was a period of time where it was deemed that infertility was due to a woman's unresolved issues with her parents. And it's funny because, I mean, Bibi, you've told me multiple times that, yes, that causes a lot in your body and for your mental health that can create the issue of infertility in women and men. Um, and so it was really cool to see that in an article and to see talk about how such a long time ago they knew what was going on. But then in the article, it said, yeah practically like they thought that for this period of time and then they moved on and it was attributed to this and then they moved on and they thought it was this and so it's just it's interesting to see the shift um in in mindsets and I mean it just more than anything goes to show that we should be able to change our mindset a little bit more you know, flexibly nowadays, right? Um, I guess like history repeats itself. And I mean, come on, we gotta, we gotta catch up. Well, and, and it repeats itself and it's within us. And mm -hmm. so we've been taught and we've been programmed in this way. And so, um, and then add to that other cultural things. So it really, it really, compounds that issue so um yeah I mean I I can think of a person I know who really struggled with infertility um who just in my core and the what little bit of history I know of this particular person um th there was a lot of mental health issues with her own mother um and a lot of issues that I think are unconscious on this unconscious level but are still a part of all of us of how can I really be a mom I know myself even when I found out I was pregnant you know I had no trouble with infertility um, yet I was like oh my god how how do I don't know if I know how to be a mom like I'm really young you know I don't know what I was 22 21 <laughs> like how am I going to be a mom? So you worry about that and think about that. And I know now how that affects the pregnancy and everything that was going on. So, um, so much has to do with combining the things you talked about, like the body's ability to relax, like how yoga and breathing and things could help the body relax. And Robin, even in the hypnobirthing things that we've, you know, studied, talked about, looked at, it's like that ability to get the body to relax and to do what the body does naturally and to believe that our bodies can do it naturally is, is a belief against 
these things of like, it's not doing it, we're going to burn you at the stake, right? Or it's your fault or your problem. So it goes against the very wisdom of our bodies and how they were made, are made to heal themselves, to create, to hold a baby. So what things have gotten in the way or contribute to that not being a place where, like I know even in acupuncture where they can talk about how to make the uterus a place where a baby wants to be. It's like it's home, you know? So, um, you know, how can you learn to naturally balance your body and hormones would be a question I would ask, which takes into consideration what you're saying. Well, here's here maybe are some medications that help, and here are also maybe some natural herbs that could help you balance the hormones. Um, wh what does it take to completely detach from the outcome and allow things to unfold naturally? Because what automatically I feel, I haven't speaking from my own experience so I want to make that clear <clears throat> but when what you want is a baby you want a baby you want a baby you want a baby the energy and everything you're putting in that and what you're telling your body is no baby no baby there's no baby so we're that's not unfolding naturally with our body either so those beliefs kind of hit up against each other um, and then how how do you relax in that, right? Like, so the whole process goes against relaxing, which is why we're saying, well, how about some natural hormones? How about some other things? And Robin, I know you have things because of conversations we've had before about, to add about the importance of that, like even a, not um, like scheduled C-sections and medications we give that, that can interfere with our body's natural way to unfold and to give birth. And there's a whole societal cultural thing about that. So Robin, please jump in here with your words of experience <laughs> well, and wisdom. Well, as far as infertility and, and when you talk about stress and, you know, all of that and how it affects, it definitely affects your hormones and your, um, you know, all, all of that affects your hormones, which is so important, you know, in, in trying to conceive. And I have heard so many patients, and you probably have too, that were so stressed out during their, you know, trying to go through all of the medications and steps with infertility, and they finally gave up. I have a friend who went through all these treatments. We were working together, and we would give her all the injections and she never got pregnant. So she ended up uh, adopting a child and completely let all of that, you know, infertility treatments and all of that, she had given up and kind of let that go. And she relaxed, you know, she was able to get on with her life and, and relaxed and she got pregnant on her own. I mean, within months of adopting the child because of relaxation, I've heard that so many times with that. So I really feel like in what we're doing is, we're opening this up to anyone who wants to listen. Um, I really feel like we need to go into the medical schools and, and, and they have that. I mean, and as a way of opening this up as complementary treatments with patients, with the people who are receiving the treatments, as well as like doctors and nurses to open their minds to these, I don't like to call them alternative, but to the complementary treatments. I feel I like think we, I think we can call them equal treatments. Yeah, equal treatments, um, different treatments, you know, as a, as a and, and to me, it should be included um, as part of the treatment plan when you come up with a plan. I know in nurse midwifery, we used to have this thing called teaching, counseling, uh, anticipatory guidance. And you would have like your diagnostics, you know, your labs, your, you, is your plan you had it set out. I really feel like this should be part of that treatment plan along with the medications and testing that we do 
conventional wise that this should be offered as a treatment as well. I think that's such a, a valid point too, because we're not saying throw out the treat the medical treatments because there's been huge advances and you know people are getting pregnant and we're not wanting to throw that out. Um, but we are wanting to just make it more comfortable for people even to talk about those with physicians in general because because of the training. Um, just the training that people have, it's not necessarily conducive to this or being open and being taught away. So I think you're making a very valid point of just the conversations about this um, and being open. And I think, and Priscilla, you can weigh in on this. I think women who are thinking about pregnancy or wanting to get pregnant in fertility now there's so much information and women in that age group are so great at researching everything now. I'm generalizing, but in general, um, I think that there's a huge population of those that are in this age, like in the ideal, I guess I'll call it age group to conceive are wanting this. I think they're looking for it. I think they're more aware of it. I think they may be more aware, that, you know, just in general, people can dangerously, I guess, look up, you know, medical things now online and, and could dangerously try to diagnose or come. But I think it's, I think, I think they really want that. And this is part of what Robin, you and I have talked about in how do you create a birthing center, a, a place um, that does take all of this into consideration because you know this from being an OBGYN nurse. You know it from moving your education beyond that to, to midwifery and then physicians. So I know I've said it before, I'll say it again and again, because I'm so impressed with the, your um, passion to keep learning more and to go back and learn more and learn more and, and learn more. And, putting this together because I, I really feel like that's what people want now. So Priscilla, that, this is a 65 year old who obviously is not concerned about fertility, <laughs> infertility. Um, but I'd like, I just like your viewpoint. Um, on that. Yeah, I am um, honest. I 100% agree with everything you just said. I do think that, you know, my generation, people who are trying to get pregnant are a lot more hands-on, um, you know, patient involvement and like decision-making in their treatment has been on the rise, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, we have more patient advocacy and everything now, um, and it's really helping, but I think there's a really big gap between what patients want and what doctors know, adhere to, prescribe, recommend, um, and one thing that I did find a lot in some of my research was that a lot of people who use equal medicine um, don't tell their primary care physician, don't tell their infertility specialist um, for fear of getting dismissed, ridiculed, judged, um, and that's just really sad, you know, because then this just goes back to the whole, you have to have a good you know, bond with your doctor, you have to have a mutual understanding to get the best care possible to get the most successful outcome. And, um, you know, I think it's baffling, just how many doctors still don't understand that there's a connection between the mental and the physical, especially in infertility, because I mean, I guess, for people like us, it's just so obvious, right? So there's like all of this you know, shame, guilt, stigma, whether it's imposed externally or internally, you know, and if you're already dealing with infertility, that creates such a, a stressful environment, more stressful environment than was already there, completely just, I feel like it's really just kind of a downward spiral of maybe you go through a failed IVF cycle, and then you have more anxiety about it, you try again, then you have more shame and guilt. You try again, 
then you start to become depressed. And it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like it's so obvious, you know? And I, another thing too, is that I feel like a lot of times in society and in medicine, infertility isn't really recognized as a loss because, you know, there wasn't a physical life to lose. Um, it's a, it's a disenfranchised grief. It's a completely unrecognized grief. And a lot of times too, what people don't understand is that it's a very isolating struggle, you know, and it can be hard because especially during that time, couples who are getting pregnant are at the age where all of their friends are getting pregnant or their friends are getting married and planning these families and having these lives. And it is so hard for people to navigate that, which adds on to the detrimental mental health effects, you know? And and the stress. Exactly. Yeah. I Robin, agree. What do you need from your perspective? Because you see this and want this, but what tell us what needs to happen or change or what you need to support this. Well, I feel like just recognition and and I am seeing uh you know to for 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 doctors and and you know, uh, nurse practitioners, PAs, to recognize it as as a problem, as something um, that needs to be addressed. And I am beginning to see it. So I don't know if COVID has brought out more of the mental health crisis, you know, in in our, in our society today. But I am beginning to see it recognized. Like I read an article, like the article that I saw, it. It's a beginning to even recognize it, you know, the guilt and the depression and the anxiety that's associated and the loss that's associated with infertility. Um, I saw it in the, it was just in the recent uh, American Journal of OBGYN, it's called the Green Journal, and it's the, you know, the the journal that's associated with with our society, American, you know, College of OBGYN. And I also am, am beginning to see it courses like, you know, CME courses that are um, recognizing that. Um, I'm taking a course in postpartum depression because I've seen so much more postpartum anxiety, depression now. There are courses that are recognizing that part of it and part of this this recent course that I'm taking it involves that not only loss for people that have you know has miscarriages but it recognizes the loss in and guilt and feelings associated with infertility and so it's it was part of that course which I used to never see that recognized at all so it seems like it's just starting to be recognized and I feel like the recognition and just providers being aware of it and then consumers uh, being aware of it too and seeking out, you're right, patients now look on the internet, they're, they're looking, they're looking at alternative treatments, they come into me all the time and ask, you know, things that they have found, which I look it up because I'm like, I, I'm not aware of that. And so I look it up and then I always learn something. You always can learn something if you have an open mind to it. Um, but, and the other thing is time to spend with your patients because in our healthcare system today and th the traditional model, there's a focus on quantity of patients being seen versus quality, I think. And so a lot of times you don't have that time to go into depth and and I think for us as providers to see, okay, we can address this today, but come back and let us take care of the other, prop, you know, other issues that there's more to it. So I think being able to have the time to really get to know your patient and even to, to make an assessment, uh, you know, to even question those type of things um, is important. Right. And then once you do, where are the resources and how do we pull those together? You know, when Robin and I have um, met individually and brainstormed on how could we, you know, how could we create a practice? What would that look like that would be 
inclusive and where, where um, to me, and I know it is to Robin too, it's important to the environment. You know, when you walk in, um, like if you walk into my office, I want my office to, I want you to walk in and be like, oh, right, I'm being held. Um, and I know Robin's talked about that even in giving birth, like with the, the um, attitudes, I guess I'll say, of people in the, that are present for the birth or the, the atmosphere that's being created there and how do we do this and what things you run up against and trying to pull that together and what would people who are in this age group what do you want like I would love to hear like people say I would love to come in because in my mind it's like oh my gosh if we could create this spa-like healing atmosphere that's calming and welcoming and like a sacred holding place, just like the womb is for the baby. It's a sacred holding space, right? To grow. I think that the that where you walk in for this care should feel the same, be the same, should encourage that. And how do you do that? And and how could you bring people in where like Robin has enough time to see them or or are there questions and things that, that, you know, I could go through with them to give information to Robin who may not have as much time. And how do we bring that together to say, well, here we have some yoga available. Maybe there's acupuncture here. There's herbs along with all of the other things we're doing. And what, what would that look like? Because to me, that's where we're at now and what needs to be birthed. And that's a intentional pun on words right um because we need to birth the new way of, of of welcoming people who come for care of holding them of having space time of having options of being able to look at them as mind body and soul i think there's something really significant about the indigenous and the spiritual part and how much that played um because I, I think there's such incredible depth and wisdom probably in a part of that that we've just sort of lost and don't necessarily have a way to even, that's maybe not even been passed down in a way anymore to take advantage of that or it's not written down like you said. So I'm really intrigued by that aspect and how, what a strong part that played and how we kind of wiped that out. So just in this place where we know that it's definitely your physical body and the things that it's doing that are totally interrelated with the mind and the thought process and the words we use and what we speak and the society and being aware of all of these issues you've talked about culturally and way back, like just taking all of that in and then each person's individual traumas and life experiences. And it's, a, um, it's like just recognizing this is all a part of one and the birthing and how, how do we like take a look at all of these things like you've both said with an open heart and mind and begin to create a, create a birth that create a, a place to birth that type of practice and what would people like and what would it look like so Robin what what ideally and Priscilla both of you because I think both perspectives are so equally important here um, what would that look like to each of you what would be your ideal if you could wave a magic wand what would that look like well, my magic wand would be able to have the time to do an assessment and to in, include that. And, and as you were talking, you know, there is, I mean, there are ample times to, uh, to educate patients in just with like what we call the yearly physical, you know, like your annual exam, um, you could include that, you know, part of it 
part of the annual exam includes talking to patients about, you know, family planning and, and what a what better time to to even ask some questions to where you like what how do you feel about that? How do you feel about, you know, being a parent? You could could kind of assess that early on, not wait till they're infertile, not wait till they've had a year of not being able to conceive to, to, to be able to assess that patient and, and maybe do some interventions before that, if that makes sense. Don't wait till they've tried for a year and then they're feeling horrible already about themselves and guilt and, and stressed and anxious to start early on. And there is something now called a preconceptional visit. And that's for patients that are planning to have a child and to just, you know, you do, you do a history and you do a physical, and then you say if they're diabetic or if they have high blood pressure or different things that you can intervene in and try to get under better control before that, you know, weight loss, things like that to help them get physically in better condition to have a baby. What better time to also talk about the, you know, the, the emotional, the um, emotional aspect of becoming a parent or family planning. But for me, that would be the ideal situation and to have when the patient walks in for them to feel safe. I know they have got to feel safe. I mean, for birth, women can stop their own labor when they don't feel safe. I have seen it myself. You, you go into labor they go into labor and they're contracting, they come to the hospital, their heart rate goes up, they're terrified and their contractions stop. So, you know, to have a place where they can feel safe um, to even talk about these different types of things means it makes a big difference, I feel like. Programming and things that happen to us and how that affects, like how our environment affects and our childhood affects us and learning more about um, truly how our thoughts create our future and that piece of education along with this. So what's striking me now is I, you know, listen to this is um, it just sounds like a great need for education all the way around. And so maybe these are some of the things we want to address um, or have the ability to give some information because um, because it is hard to know it's hard to ask questions um, when you're younger or even when you're older women face other health issues or things that um, that are maybe sort of taboo topics or you're just not sure who to ask or you don't have time to ask your physician or the physician like you Robin would love to be able to do this but it's just not set up for that so um, so maybe from this there are other questions people have or topics that would they'd like to see addressed or things we think um, might be good to to focus on a little more so I would encourage um you know, us, I guess, to think about that, and certainly anybody listening who has ideas or um, topics that they would like to see addressed, that um, this could at least be a beginning place to start to share some education or some information. I can put a poll question on the episode when we publish it, so I'll be sure to ask what people want to know more about. I, I think that's great because I think that was really the birth of this podcast with you and I, um, our conversations to begin with, at least I feel like that from my perspective is how can we get out more information? How can we talk about things that are, that are practical, that are helping each other and a place to share information? And I just think, Robin, your your expertise and your experience just broadens this so much um, that there are so many things that we could share. I mean, like when you're talking about um, education about things and knowing and how drugs or things you're taking or 
um, sexually transmitted diseases can affect pregnancy and things there that you're not thinking about. Um, <clears throat> so can it, um, some of those choices affect um, the ability for, um, for energy and for attachments and things that I see with people broadens to when there's a lot more alcohol or drug use, it can open ourselves up to things we don't realize there as well. But at, at the time we're at this age or experimenting or looking for something better, we don't know how those, how that can affect things, you know, in life later. So um, I think it'd be great to just say, yeah, what, what type of things, you know, do, do both of you think would be great to address? And absolutely, we would want to know, like, from people who are, are listening, what, what would they like to know? Because then I feel like we're, um, we don't want to just talk about the problems, we really want to look at how can we move forward and um, bring something meaningful or, or helpful to it. So, so, you know, we've, we're on infertility and maybe moved around it a little bit. Um, but just in kind of bringing this to a close, what, what things would either of you like to just um, add to this or, or final thoughts on infertility? I would say that a lot of change is needed. And in order for that change to happen, people really do need to be a lot more open-minded. You know, I think that doctors need to research just as much as their patients are. Um, I think that we need so many more doctors like Robin. It's just, it's a, it's a group effort, you know, because if it's just the patients who are pushing for this, you know, in the healthcare realm, patients don't really have the power. And that's just kind of the reality of the situation. Um, but if it's only doctors who are opening their minds, I mean, that just doesn't really help anybody because their patients aren't going to do what they're recommending, you know? And so I think it's really, whereas medicine previously, and it's evolved, but it's definitely that power dynamic of the doctor knows everything, the patient just does what the doctor says versus now it's the doctor knows sort of everything like the doctor knows more than me but I also want to do research and I'm gonna ask about a couple of questions that's great that's more collaborative I think it needs to go further than that I think that patients and doctors like you said Robin need to spend more time together need to create deeper bonds need to have mutual understandings so that both of them can understand that they're on the same page that they have the same goals and that they're both going to do whatever it takes for a successful pregnancy, whether that's using conventional Western medicine practices or traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, indigenous medicine, any type of medicinal approach. I agree too. I mean, it's a team effort between the patient and the physician or their provider. It's a team effort. I've often, you know, just shook my head when, when like, just take something like diabetes, okay? It's so easy to teach patients, okay, follow this diet, do this, do that. And you don't take a look at the patient's lifestyle. You don't take a look at, okay, she has three children. She works at, you know, a fast food restaurant where some of these healthy foods that we talk about is so difficult and they're more expensive. So in, instead of taking that time, to see, okay, why is her, you know, she comes back and her blood sugars are still elevated, but you take a, you know, you talk to the patient, you have to, to, to see them in their whole contact. You have to, to look at them to say, oh, well, the reason that her blood sugars are still high is because she's, you know, she has three kids. She doesn't have time a lot of times and she's working two jobs. And instead of looking at that and saying, oh, okay, well, here say I'm just using a fast food restaurant these are healthier choices instead of eating this this and this then try these things that would help and I don't know it's just to me you're exactly right it's a team effort 
And it's looking at the patient from a holistic perspective, not just the physical part of it. And it yeah. needs to change, you know, and I think we, we can be agents of change. And, you know, this podcast is one way, getting into medical schools, getting into uh, nursing schools, nurse practitioner schools, PA schools, and just little by little, you know, changing, uh, changing the environment. Maybe some people will never change, but some people may, you know. Well, I, I think too, an important part of this is um, taking our own power back and realizing and being educated as well on our bodies are made to heal naturally and to learn more about that and um, to not give our power away completely to a physician who can only do so much like Robin, we are saying with what you have and recognizing this, this is a partnership and, um, and learning more about the things that affect our health and, and how our bodies can heal and bringing that into this fold, <clears throat> excuse me, as well. So um, there's lots of opportunity for education in all, all realms. So I think that this conversation and your thesis on infertility um, has been a great starting point to, um, to look at that in particular and then all of the things that are flowing out from that. So all the mental health things, all the ways that affects the family, all the ways that, you know, we haven't even touched on men and infertility and, um, <clears throat> and then healthcare just, you know, in general and how we combine things together to look. So I think it's been a great starting point. Um, we also know those of us at least um, who've spent a lot of our lives in healthcare that the woman makes the decision on healthcare and where their family goes and what they do and what they see. So for that reason too, I think this is a really appropriate and good way to start like birth. This is where we're birthing, right? Birthing ideas, this is where birth takes place along with all these other pieces. So um, I think it's, exciting that that you're looking at this and that it's something you're interested in Priscilla as you pursue your own um, path of medicine and the path that Robin has pursued and the experience she has and the education and where this needs to go and um, so I think this is um, I think this has been a great topic to um, dive into thank you Thank you guys so much for listening. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and share if y'all liked this episode, and we'll see y'all next time.